Hi guys, my name is Fadumo. And my name is Lippa and we are hosts on I Think She's Offside. Our podcast is all about celebrating and empowering young women in sports. We talk about the WSL, the Lionesses and anything else that we find interesting in women's sports. And we use it as a platform to engage women from all different ethnic backgrounds to get involved as fans of the sport, to really say what matters to them and to use as a platform to share really interesting stories. We want to empower people in our community, whether you are male, female, it doesn't matter. We want your story to be heard and your perspective on sports, football, cricket, whatever it may be. We want to hear from you. We believe in the community and we believe in the voice of local people. Yeah, so if you're interested, you can find us at She's Offside on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to join any discussions that we have going and more importantly if you have an interesting story of your interesting person that is involved in sport get in touch and we'd love to share your story thank you bye bye hello welcome to the good sports podcast diving deep into the world of sport for development my name's david terrace i'm joined by fellow good sports sarah Begg and lee boo hiya hello before we get into the meat of the episode, we're going to hear from Simon Lansley from Connect Sport. Hi there, this is Simon Lansley from Connect Sport bringing you the latest news from the world of sport for social change. Two leading rugby league bodies have partnered with the national social care charity Community Integrated Care to form a groundbreaking inclusive sports programme for people with learning disabilities and autism. The Community Integrated Care Learning Disability Super League will give people with learning disabilities the opportunity to play an adapted version of the game in a series of high-profile festivals and events officially supported by Super League Europe and the Rugby Football League. The programme aims to promote the development of skills, confidence and positive experiences for people with learning disabilities as being supported by 12 clubs including the likes of Leeds Rhinos and Wigan Warriors. Elsewhere, leading youth and disability sport charity Lord's Taverners has been selected as an official Cricket for Good partner of the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup in England and Wales this summer. The charity delivers a series of national programmes including table cricket, super wands and wickets which support young people facing disadvantage across the UK and the partnership will give participants of these programmes the opportunity to play an active role in the international tournament. In soccer... The Newcastle United Foundation has launched its Beer Game Changer campaign to encourage fans to take a proactive approach to looking after their mental health. Funded by Newcastle City Council and the Premier League PFA Community Fund, the campaign aims to raise awareness and change perception of mental health issues. The campaign will also include real-life stories from fans who have experienced mental health issues, information and tips to support mental well-being, education workshops signposting to specialist services, as well as match day activities at St James's Park. We'll finish this week with a couple of awards. Blackburn Rovers Community Trust's support of the local Islamic community has helped the charity to be named as Community Initiative of the Year at the British Muslim Awards. The award recognises the range and diversity of projects that the club have offered to that section of the local community, including citizenship, 
anti-racism programs, hosting interfaith sports tournaments, supporting aid appeals from Islamic charities and offering stadium visits and coaching sessions for refugees and asylum seekers. Finally, the Chelsea Foundation was named winner of the Community Project of the Year at the recent London Football Awards in recognition of its Say No to Anti-Semitism project. The scheme, launched in January 2018, has seen Chelsea work with a range of organisations, including the Holocaust Education Trust and Kick It Out, to help raise awareness of anti-Semitism. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening and look out for more news and updates on our website at www.connectsport.co.uk. Big thank you to Simon there for giving us the news in sport for development. You can find out more about ConnectSport by following them on Twitter. This episode is focused on the International Women's Day. Sarah, what have you got for us? International Women's Day, it's celebrated on March 8th every year. Origin in the early 1900s, women's suffrage and political movements around women's involvement in the workforce. It was made an official International Women's Day in 1975 by the United Nations. And this year, the theme is Balance for Better, which is essentially focusing on making sure that we have a gender balanced world. And I think this paragraph pretty much summarised it for me. This is on the International Women's Day website. Balance is not a women's issue. It's a business issue. The race is on for the gender balanced boardroom, a gender balanced government, gender balanced media coverage, a gender balance of employees, more gender balance in wealth, gender balanced sports coverage. Gender balance is essential for economies and communities to thrive. So I thought we might want to kick off a conversation around how we can get a gender balance in sports participation and what the challenges are and how we can go about achieving that. So I've been reflecting a little bit on this from my experience of working with older people. Participation in terms of activities, then it's often skewed a lot towards Older women, so for example, AGK services are generally 75%, 25% women. However, if you look at the stats looking at actual participation in sport and achieving your 150 minutes a week of activity, then it's completely skewed the other way. So about half as many women take part or achieve their minutes over 65 as men. And I was reflecting on why that might be. And I think the opportunities for older people, it's changing now. But a lot of the time, it's kind of coffee mornings, bingo, that kind of really traditional activity. And older women, and massive generalisation, but are willing to get involved in stuff. And there's been somewhat of an overcorrection. So things like walking football or men in sheds targeted specifically at engaging men. Whereas actually, there needs to be more kind of inclusive activity to get both genders playing together, being active together, instead of this kind of targeted uh, each each gender. Because although women are getting involved in things, they're not necessarily sport or activity or strength and balance or cardio or things that can really benefit their, their health. It benefits them socially, being involved in the activities, but doesn't necessarily get all those benefits. So... For me, in the older people world, lots of older women engage in activities and community action. But can we be better at getting a multi-sport, multi-physical activity offering out to both genders? And I think there's there's great opportunities there. Be interested to know how much of that is kind of rooted in traditional ideas about the suitability of physical activity or who should be physically active or involved in sport. Particularly when you're looking at older people, we might have mindsets that were set in the 30s 40s 50s that might not 
match up with what we have expectations around today? Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of that. There's certainly a feeling that retirement is a time for rest and that physical activity isn't for me. And there's also a feeling that people hated it at school where there are really different attitudes. I also think there's another element, and there's a kind of cultural element as well. So looking at different communities, so older people is a very broad term. But if you look at, for example, at South Asian community and their older people, especially older women, there's virtually no encouragement to be active or no expectation to be active. So I think it is a mix of yeah, the, the experiences they've had, probably not that positive, and also the attitudes of people around them. So a young relative might say, well, actually, there's a risk of you falling over or a risk of you doing yourself harm doing physical activity. Well, statistically, the risk is doing nothing is, is more harmful. So there's kind of the internal factors for the older women and there's the external kind of pressures from social expectations as well. No, Sarah, that was my exact initial thought when Dave mentioned that really. Was it, is it around a historical thing of you know, old-fashioned values of women's places in the home and the men go out and play the sport? So I think clearly then the job now of sport for development going forward is to, is to bust those myths completely and make it a totally equal playing field going forward. So that isn't a consideration in the future. Yeah, and there's some great examples of older women being amazing in their activities. There's a silver fit down in Southwark in London. There's a lady there who started doing our men in a um, our women, our men in her sixties, just completely inspirational. But she's kind of seen as a a bit of a, a freak in a way, a bit of like a, a new story. Whereas actually, the story should be how many people are not active, not the ones who've sort of stuck their heads above the parapet and been active. And what about you, Lee? I think at the core of all the projects I've done with Cricket Without Boundaries, gender's been front and centre, and I think it's always a real highlight of these projects, but it is interesting how it can differ from country to country or region to region, but it's clear to me that, that sport can play a massive impact on this, but the differences are interesting. So all the African projects, for example, it just seems really easy always to get boys and girls playing together. There seems to never be any issues Never anybody stood at the back. Everybody just piles themselves straight in, gets into things. Such a huge contrast, that really, with Jordan, where we worked with Jordanians, Syrians and the Palestinian refugees. Huge cultural differences there. Just impossible to get the boys and girls playing together, just not allowed. And it was really sad then to see when you did run girls-only sessions, how unfit, uncoordinated, unsporty the girls were just through their lack of opportunities. It was a real tragedy to see, really. But again, no lack of enthusiasm when they threw themselves into that. And then I would think Nepal and the UK, similar to me, there was initial hurdles getting girls involved in the sessions. Boys had played more cricket in both countries, so were seen as the experts and there was barriers to get over. But once you get over those barriers, boys and girls playing sport together, and I think you know cricket is a tool that lends itself for that, can be a fantastic experience. Be really interested in your background and your experience of sport, though, Sarah. Yeah, that pretty much aligns with my experience of the matter as well. I think there's two kinds of barriers that women and girls face when taking up or participating in a sport. The first is the general acceptability of women and girls taking part in sport. And obviously that varies culturally. Um, but then there's also the taking part in specific types of sports that might have a traditional um, gender kind of dimension, so traditionally male, for example. And as Sport for Development 
practitioners, we kind of have to make a decision, don't we? Do we want to go with sports that it's easy to get girls into um, and therefore increase the number of girls who are taking part in sport? Or do you want to upset those gender norms and put a bit more effort and energy into getting girls into sports that are, you know, traditionally male dominated? Um, And there's a really interesting example of a intervention um, programme in India um, called Paravartan for Girls that uses a sport that I know you love, uh, Lee, which is kabaddi. Huge kabaddi fan. And the found a Nepalese equivalent called Koko, which I really loved as well. Brilliant. You'll have to teach me the rules. Um, This programme essentially is using kabaddi, which is a really male-dominated sport, in a context where it's not really acceptable for girls to be out on their own or in groups without a chaperone, certainly not acceptable for them to be going around in sportswear. So it's tackling both of those barriers at the same time. And the outcomes of it have been really remarkable. If people are interested in finding out more about the impact of that programme, I recommend having a look at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine's Strive website. We'll make sure we put a link on the blog, but it's really interesting reading. Lee, you talked earlier about your experience in Nepal. I know that project was particularly focused around gender. Tell us more about it. Yeah, it was It was really just breaking down the stereotypes that you were saying there. Lots of boys were playing cricket. Lots of boys in the region we were in were fanatical about cricket and had the opportunity to play, and the girls didn't. So it was just a, a project that was around getting girls playing, giving them the opportunity, not just now and in the few sessions when we were there, but a long-term opportunity. So weekly coaching visit in their schools. And this is just a a short clip with some of the girls who took part in it, which I think explains these things a lot better than we ever can. Myself, Sakshi Gupta. I'm Mitanshi Goel from Midatnagar. I'm Shibhangini Sharma. And me, Varnika Singhal. Thank you very much. And so when did you start playing cricket? Because it wasn't your first time playing cricket these two weeks. So you played cricket before. So could you tell me how you first started being introduced to cricket? Firstly, uh, we started playing cricket in our uh, areas uh, during our childhood. childhood. Yeah, during our childhood with uh, lots of students not exactly uh, particularly the numbers but many of them one as batsman one as bowler and the rest others as cricket. yeah street like, cricket yeah. actually and uh, it was uh, really fun. not fun and also wasn't knowing that uh, it this has this was not so perfect, so perfect yeah we just we started to... playing like bat and ball. We did not have wickets or something. We don't. Yeah. We didn't know anything like this about cricket. Just we had a ball, we had a bat, and just and wickets of uh, bricks. Yeah, or <laughs> dustbin. We used to cricket with our friends in school also. Yeah, sometimes in school with, with our yeah. friends, collection. But Even we used our... to join boys while playing cricket. Uh, so and we rarely used to have deuce ball. Yeah, we yeah, used rarely. to play with rubber balls or plastic balls. Mm-hmm. Which was this really is our fun. first official like cricket match or something. Like yeah, that. we yeah. never played this kind of before. And all. Great. So, 
Uh, this is something I've heard from a few of the girls that have joined our project. We've had um, in the regular coaching sessions, we've had some girls and lots of boys. We're hoping to get that more 50-50 in future sessions. But um, we've heard from a lot of the girls that they've played street cricket with their brothers. And the aim of this project is to encourage that in schools, girls are getting the chance just as much as boys. Um, so could you tell me about uh, how you found the course, what you learned from it and what you enjoyed? Yeah. We found a lot of techniques as Lee taught us and he gave us a lot of experience. We uh, got to learn new experiences and especially playing with all those empires and with all, all the pads helmets yeah. and a great experience. Uh, also, Lee taught us many things, how to go with uh, everything happens, how to uh, get uh, friendly with the environment. Uh, teamwork, basically. Yeah, teamwork, coordination. And we learned all, like, all new... He, uh, he always comes up with new drills so that we are perfect at batting, balling, and most probably at fielding. We need to focus on fielding as per Lee. Because we spend most of our time with the fielding. So we had a lot of fun and a lot of tiring work also here. Mm. But this session was really very, very, very good. After the session, we are also now capable to discover new more drills. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. we did yesterday. And we can also volunteer the other students who are interested yes. uh, for cricket. Or we can uh, even ask them can or we can raise more girls. Yeah, we can encourage girls uh, mm -hmm. for playing cricket. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, cu a couple of days ago, we came and as a group, we ran a session in DAV schools. Yeah. And in fact, myself and Lee and Angus, we didn't really do anything. We let these guys who've been working for two weeks, you ran the sessions, you were really encouraging, you did some really great, great work with the other students. We were very impressed. So uh, did you get a chance to speak to Bina who yes. came? Yeah. Yes. So some of you did. Um, could you tell me about Bina, our gender, our local gender advisor, and, and what she spoke to you about? Because it was in Nepali, so I missed some of that information. No, Bina, ma'am, just uh, she is like uh, more of uh, uh, she is like volunteering woman. She wants women to come up, or more than boys. Like she, it's her thought that girls are not less than boys, but girls are far, far, far better than boys. <laughs> so, we, uh, but girls are suppressed in our Nepali society, like in Nepali or Hindi culture. We generally women stay back at home and men go out for work. Women do not get that opportunities too. Like, uh, we don't uh, get to play out at nights or night out, something that kind of we need to get in home fast. We like, even don't get time to play uh, during daytime yeah. due to the household works. Not actually household work. The students who are who even study, they don't play because that they are uh, saying that they are a girl. You can't play. If you get hurt, it will be yes, difficult sir, yeah. for you. It's and more important so for you to focus on studies, yeah, studies rather than games. Rather than games, uh, you'll have to get they married. You'll have to get to as other many as opportunities and as boys. So yeah. she just uh, she encouraged us a lot. Like we need to be more active. Girls need to be more and uh, believed in themselves. Like they should have faith that I can do it and I will do it. Yeah. Like uh, they should not think themselves because in Nepali society, girls think inferior. Mm -hmm. They believe themselves to be inferior to boys. She wanted to remove this thought. She spoke us about that, like all that stuff. Did she have any advice for the boys in the group as well? Uh, yeah. yeah, she told the boys to encourage girls but not yeah. to dominate them. 
boys too are dominating obviously like sometimes in they jokes are. also like but in jokes usually we get dominated uh, so she wanted uh, them to help us uh, even not even help them at least not to dominate and uh, just be equal with everything like girls and boys are two sides of the same coin so yeah, we should the wheels of the same car yeah so without a girl society cannot run and same as for boys also that's the thing they are she asked us to change our thoughts regarding this matter so that uh, we can like encourage every girls for especially joining the sports because it's a great platform to have a nice future or to do something different in our lives she asked us to take steps for ourselves she uh, even in say that uh, boys not to Uh, she asks us, uh, she asks boys not to dominate uh, except that what they can do is they can volunteer girls even except boys volunteering girls saying them about uh, what they can do and what uh, they can be in the future as a future as we are the futures of the nation so she asks us not to be so suppressed get uh, encouraged yourself uh, don't not to lose our hopes to keep up the hope and uh, to go on in the life thank you so uh, do you see a future in projects like this getting girls and boys playing cricket yeah, together yes. yeah. okay a very bright future we see i guess there is a lot of scope for cricket actually in the world because this all cricketers get so much respected and they are so popular like b team england or b team india every person i guess now youngsters know virat kohli more like everyone every boy especially wants to be like him but i myself want to be like virat kohli like he is uh, so nice he plays well he behaves well so a sportsman like is not only sportsman but he is also like well mannered well behaved because sportsmanship is like not losing heart even when you are yeah. down if you fail you need to come up with more hard work so we should not lose hope um we should keep practicing because practice makes a man perfect uh, without practice uh, there's no miracle that can get you to the goal so sportsmanship is a very good like sports is very good uh, has a very good future i guess i could listen to that interview all day those girls clearly had a brilliant time so good job lee Yeah they were fantastic so there were three or four girls who who'd been along for the full project really and had clearly broken the norm and were playing cricket already so bullying their brothers into letting them play cricket and just real trend setters and like they mentioned in the clip there that the best bit about the whole trip was when we went to their school and just stood back as coaches let them get on with it watched them being role models leading boys but especially the girls in in cricket sessions that they'd learnt the previous week was very exciting and also three or four talented cricketers there to be fair some really good ones especially left arm bowler swung it a mile she was great i bet you must feel confident in the sort of sustainability of the project when you've got girls like that who are engaged in the program yeah it's just going to be a case of finding more of them they're clearly going to be there or thereabouts it's just getting them to come out of the woodwork breaking down some of these barriers that are giving them the access to the game and then supporting them to become these role models. Awesome. Well, I've got an interview with Little Mermaids UK. It's a running club that specifically targets girls. So rather than being about gender balance, this is more about what does sport offer girls that is unique for them and how can we do that effectively? 
Welcome to the Good Sports Podcast. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Mini Mermaid? I'm Hannah and I'm Executive Director of Mini Mermaid uh, Running Club UK. So Mini Mermaid started in 2015. It was an initiative that I brought over from the state, launched it in my hometown of Leeds in 2015 and we've grown really slowly and really organically since then and we've got pockets of programs kind of dotted all around the country. The reason why I brought Mini Mermaids over was a real passion project and it was a real personal project for me and it started I have a daughter and she suffers with an anxiety disorder called selective mutism which means that she can't or wasn't able to communicate with people verbally so um, she often said that she it felt like her throat was closing up so it's like a phobia whenever anybody spoke to her or whenever she was put on the spot to kind of um speak to people but then what I noticed was you know we're a really active family we are out all the time I've grown up outside and in the countryside and when I was outside with her and we were when we were in the playgrounds her anxiety was really really low so she could shout to me across the playground and she was just really relaxed and 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 really calm and for me that kind of sent bells up in my head and I was thinking okay I know that running and being active has always helped me it's always been my go-to thing when I've feeling anxious so there must be something out there that can help her lots of research later on the internet and I came across Mini Mermaids which started uh, with a fabulous lady called Heidi in California and what really struck me about it was that it wasn't just about getting kids active or getting kids running it really looked at a child as a whole looked at thing at reasons why girls in particular stop being active kind of by the age of nine, 10 years old and looked at, you know, confidence issues within girls. What stops a girl putting their hand up in class to um, answer a question? You know, what? why is all this pressure on them to be perfect or to act a certain way or to look a certain way? So that's what really, really struck me about it. And, uh, and at that time, the mindfulness and the whole child approach wasn't really uh, around at that point. Um, so I just, uh, I just basically contacted um, Heidi in the States and I was just really fortunate that when we had yeah. a conversation and we connected and we just got each other and she knew what my mission was and I knew what her mission was and I just wanted to be part of that. I wanted to spread the word. I wanted to get, you know, not only did I want my daughter to get involved in Mini Mermaids, but I wanted all the girls in the UK to get involved with Mini Mermaids. Um, Brilliant. So that's a really interesting background that you're transferring a model from the US to the UK. Let's start off with that. Did you find that the challenges of transferring something that's developed in, in that American context to over here? Well, what was really interesting is that the problems seem to or they transcend continents. So the girls in America that they were working with have exactly the same pressures and stresses and anxieties as the girls in the UK have at a similar age. The the written content that yeah. we use, when we brought it over from the States, it was very American. It had some, you know, really brilliant phrases and brilliant words that they use. It just, it just wasn't in our language. So Heidi and I spent um, a long time just tweaking some of the language that was in there, adjusting some of the content you know sometimes we don't have as much time after school as they do in the states or we have to fit it in a different way but being able to do that which has been really uh, really good that sounds fantastic so talk to me a little bit about this curriculum then because it's clear that it's not just you know get a bunch of girls together and get them running there's a lot no. to it than that yeah absolutely so it is based on the story 
So the story is a really large critical part of the curriculum. And the story is about Minnie Mermaid and it's about sirens. So we um, immediately are distinguishing these two voices that we have in our head. So we have our Minnie Mermaid voice, who essentially is our inner cheerleader. She's the one that has got our back. She's the one that's saying, do you know what? If you make a mistake, what's the worst that can happen? She's the one that's saying, just keep trying, just keep going. Pick yourself up if something goes wrong and, and, and crack on. Siren, on the other hand, is the voice that we found out as women and and. I reckon you'll relate to this, I certainly uh, relate to this, is our inner critic. So it's Mm. the one who, if we hear a negative phrase about us, that's the thing that we latch on to. So I always give the example of when I was nine years old, I had to go see an osteopath because I had uh, problems with my back and my knees. And the osteopath said to me at nine years old, oh, you're very big boned, aren't you? You're very big boned. And at nine years old, that was the thing that shattered my confidence and gave me a really negative attitude towards my body, food, uh, you know, exercise, everything. So that was my siren voice kind of doing that. And, you know, she's the one who tells us that we don't look like everybody on Instagram or we need to behave in a certain way because that's how everybody else is behaving. Or we are not we are not really, really perfect at doing something. So we're not going to try it because we're too scared. So that's our siren voice. And I think most women... I, I would guess. And I think also a lot of men would resonate with that as, as part of their experience growing up. Definitely. It definitely does resonate in men. And we and by no means are we saying that these problems and these thoughts are not in men or men don't have these thoughts. But majoritively, we find overwhelmingly, we find that these negative thoughts about yourself, about your ability, about the way that you look, about the way that you behave, about your relationship with food or your relationship with sport or activity is predominantly in girls. And, you know, there's eons of research out there that that proves this because girls are getting less and less active um and and experiencing more and more anxiety and experiencing more and more um mental health um related um issues so um um going back to the uh, the curriculum itself um we run so the curriculums are aimed at primary school age children so it, it, essentially we are a preventative program rather than a reactive program so we're not we're not looking at girls who have stopped being active we're actually at the core still getting with those girls you know seven and eight who are still being active who love to run around and 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 um and things like that so we start working with primary school age children we run um mini mermaid programs for four years in primary school so we start when they're in year three and then we run four five and six each program is either a six-week program or it's an eight-week program depending on how the school runs it and each week has a different theme so the themes that we work on are our head our heart our hands our belly our legs and our feet and uh, i'll just quickly i'll just quickly run through the, through those so your head is um how things that you see in here and how you uh, decipher those so uh, whether what you see is a or hear is a mini mermaid thought or whether it's a siren thought so your heart is definitely how you feel about yourself so this week get the girls to write down their siren thoughts they've ever had or they've ever heard about themselves and then we destroy it. it's a really cathartic moment you know they destroy it and chuck it in mud and all sorts it's great then we talk about our hands and that's about serving others and serving our communities and how that builds us as people and how that makes us a, a, a more well-rounded individual then we talk about our bellies and this is um this is a really important week because there is so much out there about diets and what we should and what we shouldn't eat and you know the girls are susceptible to these uh, views as well so you know we want them to celebrate food we want them to know that food is fuel we don't want them to feel ashamed for eating anything or not having access to quinoa and pomegranates you know we just want them to celebrate food however they can celebrate it 
we move on to our legs. So our legs as our, our strengths. So we talk about our strengths and our weaknesses and we celebrate our differences with each other and how we should, uh, what's the worst that can happen if we try something and we don't achieve something, you know, it's all about um, just trying stuff. And then our feet is about setting goals for ourselves. So setting goals and p- putting in place the steps to achieve those goals. And that's that's really critical. And that's really important. And uh, interestingly, I, I went to hear Chris Hoy talk in and he said that this was very much something that he did. So when he was younger, he would set goals and put steps in place to achieve those goals. And if he didn't end up achieving that goal that he set, he would stop and reflect on the steps that he had done to achieve that goal and in his head he said so it had a if I'd only achieved two steps towards that goal then that was two steps that I'd achieved and that was a massive tick because we're not always going to succeed in our goal we're not always going to get there but if we can get a couple of steps up towards that goal then that's a really important factor really important lesson and then within all of this stuff that we're doing all this discussion work and journal work and stuff like that we're getting the girls active we're getting them active. We're getting them to link how being active makes them feel happy. Being outside makes them feel happy. Being in a group and a small team makes them feel happy. And they're working towards this five kilometer challenge. And the five kilometer challenge is not about running it. It's not about being the fastest. It's just about completing it. So they're running it, walking it, hopping it, skipping it. They've got a mama mermaid that helps them round. They often make up poems or songs or anything like that. And they just complete it. And you can see when they finish, they cross that finish line, something switches in their head. Because five kilometers is a long way, especially if you're a kid and especially if you've never been active before. But it's, but it's achievable. So they've crossed the finish line. It's been really hard. You know, they've struggled with their mini mermaid voice and their siren voice. But their mini mermaid voice has won. They've crossed the finish line. Mm. They've achieved that goal. They reflect on everything that they've learned. They still can't believe that they've done it. And it can lead them to think, okay, what else can I achieve? What else can I set, you know, set goals for, put the steps in place to achieve? And they can go on to be more active in their lives. They know that when things are getting a little bit tough, they can go outside for 10 minutes. They can get their family involved. They can just be an active and switch your whole mood. It just switch everything. So um, in terms of that working towards five kilometer, you know, the running component of it, how does that fit in with your, you know, your journal stuff and your discussion? Like what does a typical session look like? So the sessions are broken down. So you have your discussion work, if you want to call that. So, you know, your theme and you talk about your theme and you talk about what it is you'll be doing that week. And then you get them outside and it really, really depends on the group. So it it would be great for me to sit here and go, yeah, all the girls get outside and they get running straight away and they can run, you know, two miles by week four or whatever. You know, A, I'm, I'm not with every single group of girls as much as I would love to be because you know, that is my passion. And two, Two, the aim and the idea is to get the girls to latch on to how being physically active in no matter what form is important and it makes them feel better about themselves. It makes them feel happy. So the activity emphasis each week is not actually on running. You'll have some girls that will be able to run. You have some girls that will start walking and then build up to running. You'll have some girls who they'll just take part in some of the physical activity games that you do to get them active. And then when it gets to the actual five kilometer challenge, because of the work that you've done, because of the discussion work that you've done, because you've been building up their confidence, building up these this idea that mini, you can change your siren thoughts into a, a positive mini mermaid thought, they're actually um, emotionally and mentally ready to take on this challenge and complete it. So if they don't, if they only walk it, the five kilometer challenge, then that's okay. 
they've completed it. They've done something that they never thought that they could do eight weeks earlier. So the games that they'll, they might engage with that are those linked to beam that you've talked about? So belly or the, or the leg? Uh, yeah, totally. So, um, with the belly week, if you think about the games that you absolutely adored when you were a kid, they're all the games that we're bringing back because they are the most fun. So we have things like we have each food group is split into a different color. So the girls can have like a different color hanging out the back of their leggings or their shorts and they have to run around trying to catch each other's color to make a full plate of food. We do games where we've got paper plates and we write loads of different foods down. We put them down all over the playground and have to run and make um, their their full plate of food. So, you know, they're being active. They're not really knowing they're being active. It's just a game and it's just fun and they're happy and they're just enjoying it. And uh, things like uh, when we're talking about our legs and our different strengths and our weaknesses, we do um, a game which is called Guessometer. So you have the girls kind of line up and they and you have them guess how far they can hop in 30 seconds and they have to put a marker down and go back to the start. And, you know, without fail, every single girl will underestimate their ability and they will put their marker, you know, 10 yards from where they are stood. And then when you actually do it and you time them and they smash past their, their marker, you can see them go, oh, why am I just, why am I underestimating myself? I could, I can do so much. So, you know, their confidence grows in how much they think that they can do as well. That sounds fantastic. I re- I'm personally really believe that if you can get games that have that message running through them as well. So some people will learn in that more discussion journal kind of yeah. way. And some people are going to learn through the games. And it, if you can integrate yeah. it all together, it, my experience is that it just keeps the message reinforced, but it's also really engaging for every type of learner. I was interested to been going for four years now and it can be challenging to do this, but if and how you're measuring the impact of your programme. When we first started, uh, so we started in 2015 and in 2016, we had Dr. Nicola Eccles, who is a doctor of physical activity and uh, especially around girls. She came and did an impact report for us. So when we were first starting, she identified five key areas that um, the programme impacted. That sounds great to help think about what things you're going to measure and have some expertise help you think about those things. I think that's sometimes the most difficult things for programmes is you're great at the implementing and the ideas, but yeah. actually going like, what are we changing here? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is a challenge, yeah. And so we, uh, we also do pre and post questionnaires for all our programmes as well. And I know that might sound simplistic, but actually we get a lot of value out of that. Yeah, We can see how a girl's perception has changed, whether they're grasping the concepts of Mini Mermaid, how they feel about phys- being physically active as well. So that's a that's a really it's a simple form, but it's really really um, important. And then moving on from that, we would like to get another impact report written, so we really dig deep and analyze where we've come in four years, and making sure that we're we're still on the right track. So I guess what would be really helpful to finish off with is if you had any particular um, stories that you were super proud of from the mini birthdays <laughs> program. Um, so going full circle back to uh, my daughter, so she can now, she talks to um, about 20 kids now. She has 20 children that she can talk to. She can communicate with some of her teachers at school. And that doesn't sound like a big thing. But knowing that when I first started Mini Mermaids and the reason I first started it was to do with her, to see her make that progression is absolutely tremendous and absolutely huge and I'm incredibly proud of that. I'm incredibly proud of the stories that we get sent via email of parents saying that from their child taking part in a Mini Mermaid programme, 
it has impacted their family life and their whole families have become more active and they're going down to junior park run every week and you know their dad's joined a running club and they're having more open and honest conversations at home you know that I'm incredibly proud of I'm incredibly proud when we get a parent email in and say my daughter was really worried about doing her SATS exams in year six so she went for a run before her exam she did some yoga techniques that we teach within the program and she's gone and she's absolutely had the confidence to go in and take part in her take part of that so it's it's all those little things that we hear those little nuggets that we hear back which you know are just really important and you know that your your impact is in the right area absolutely I, I think it's often the reason why we do it isn't it those little stories that help keep us motivated on the days when we've got lots of admin to get through yeah. or whatever it is yeah. and knowing that that individual level change and about the ripple effect through families there definitely sound it's all you could ask for really yeah thank you so much for joining us um where can people find out more about mini mermaid so they can go to our website which is www.minimermaiduk.com um we're all over social media we're on um Twitter at Mini Mermaid UK, on Instagram at Mini Mermaid UK, and on Facebook at MMRC UK. Or you can email me at Hannah at Mini Mermaid Running Club.org. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been brilliant to talk to you. You're very welcome. Um, it's been hopefully, we'll catch up with you again at some point down the line. Maybe if you get that impact report done, we can have a chat about that. that sounds going forward. Yeah, great. Thank you. Perfect. So I really enjoyed that interview. It was great to hear someone whose passion for the project really stemmed from her own child's needs. And that really shone through from that interview for me. What did you think? Just really like all of the creativity, the storytelling, all the creative tools, the creative integrated learning. I think, yeah, fantastic project. And don't forget, you can find all the information about Mini Mermaids on the blog. That's goodsportscast.org.uk. And the links will all be there. Hi, I'm Charlie Gamble, the CEO of Tech Africa, and you're listening to the Good Sports Podcast. It's quiz time. We're pausing the series between Sarah and Lee at 9.4, and it's now Sarah's turn to ask the questions and for me to answer them, which I have to admit I'm a bit nervous about. Sarah, what have you got for us? So, yep, for one week only, I am the quiz master. Very excited. And the theme is going to be gender balance in the Olympics. So a bit of background first. In Rio, 48% of all the athletes who competed were female. And that's been a significant journey since the first Olympic Games that women were allowed to compete in, which was the 1900 Olympics in Paris, where only 2.2% of the athletes were female. They were very much initially restricted to a handful of sports, things like tennis, sailing, croquet. So for this game, I'm going to give you a sport. And you have to guess if it was open to women's participation earlier or later than the preceding sport. So it will make sense as we go along. I'll give you a bonus point if you can guess the decade and two bonus points if you can get the year exactly right. OK. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's go. So, Lee, are you happy to go first? I am, but I think as it's his first time, David really should have the choice. I'll stick you in, Lee. You can go first. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> Starting at the midway point between now and the 1900 Olympics, so from the 1960s Winter Olympics, was skiing open to women's participation earlier or later? I certainly hope it was earlier. And do you want to guess the year? 1920. 
Well, you get one point. It was indeed earlier. It was 1936. Now, this was a bit of a trick question because it's actually the same year that skiing opened to both men and women. From now on, there's always going to be a disparity in the year in which the, the two genders were able to compete. So, Lee, you get one point. Thank you. Dave, are you ready for the next one? Yes, I am. So next one, Dave, was cycling opened earlier or later than 1936 to women's participation? Given that there weren't that many Olympics before 1936, I'm going to go later and I'm going to guess 1956. You're correct that it was later, but it wasn't until 1984. Wow. That was nearly 100 years after men were first able to compete in cycling. Unbelievable. Lee, next up, basketball, earlier or later than 1984? I'm tempted to take Dave's logic that there was a lot more before, but it would seem to me traditionally that girls were forced to play netball. So I'm going to go later than 1984 and go 1996. I'm afraid you're wrong. It's earlier and it was 1976. So that was 40 years after men were first able to compete in basketball. Dave, next up. Yeah. Canoe and kayak, earlier or later than 1976? Uh, I'm going to go later. I'm going to go in the 80s. So I'm going to go 1984. I'm afraid, again, incorrect. They were earlier. Um, and it was 1948, so really quite early. Wow. Only eight years after men were able to compete in uh, canoe and kayak. Only the eight years. <laughs> All these things are relative, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So at the midway point, after four questions, the score is one all. Well done, chaps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The next question, Lee, field hockey. Earlier or later than 1948? Oh, traditional English posh school game. So I'm going to go earlier than 19... What was it, 46? 48. Earlier than 1948 and go 1932. I'm afraid that's incorrect. Um, Flawless logic, though. Great logic, but it wasn't until much later than that. It was 1980. So men had been playing hockey since 1928, so pretty close to your guess. Women, not until 1980. That's the most surprising one so far for me, I think. Agreed. I certainly think from a UK perspective, it's often thought of as a girls' school sport. Um, Yeah. So very surprising for me, that one. So next one up, Dave Rowing. Earlier or later than 1980? Well, kayaking was quite early, so we thought they might be together. So I'm going to go earlier, and I'm going to go 1972. <gasps> Dave, very close. It was earlier, 1976. So you get two oh, points. Right decade, though. Congratulations. Get in. Get in. It could be a game changer. It could be a game changer. Lee, next one for you. Marathon. Earlier or later than 1976? I certainly remember traditional issues around women not being allowed to run marathons. The famous footage, is it from the the woman who runs the Boston Marathon? Yep. So I'm going to go later, but only just later, and 1980. 
Oh, you've snuck in under the radar there. Absolutely, it was later. It was 1984. Oh, I nearly went that. <laughs> so the last question, and Dave, this is your opportunity to take the win because the score is three all. Oh, God. Weight, <laughs> weightlifting, earlier or later than 1984. Oh, that is a good over-under. Um, I was thinking late. I was thinking late. I'm... Hmm. Is it a trick question? I'm going to go earlier, 1976. You should have followed your instincts. Oh, it was no. later and it was in the year 2000. Blimey. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was an 80-year disparity. So it's a tie. The great news is I have a tiebreaker. I said earlier that at Rio, 48% of participants were female. But what percentage of coaches were female? Closest to the number will be the winner. Okay. Lee, do you want to go first? Yes, I'll take the first shot. I think it's going to be way lower than that, and I will go for 17%. Okay, and Dave, your guess? Mm, that's a good guess. I had 20% in my head, uh, so I want to go with that, 20%. Well, Lee, you'll be delighted to oh. know that you have secured a victory in the quiz. Well wow. done. Well, it's, it's, been that, it's been that long since I won one. I've forgotten how to celebrate. <laughs> uh, I prefer asking the questions. If <laughs> really good quiz, though. That really interesting. Yeah. And the answer Excellent. for that, if you want to know the exact number, is a stunningly low 11% of coaches are wow, female. Ridiculous. Yeah. That is truly incredible, really, isn't it? It's Unbelievable. When I was reading, so this was on, on an IOC report on gender balance in the Olympics. And as I was scrolling through, you know, it all looked pretty promising around participation and changes on those fronts. And I came to that coaching figure and I was just absolutely blown away by that number, to be honest. So that pretty much concludes the pod. If you have any great stories from International Women's Day about any activities you might have been doing or projects that you've been involved in, please do let us know. We'd love to highlight it in the next episode. Big thank you for listening to the podcast. Please do recommend it to anyone who you think will find it interesting and useful. Also, it'd be great if you could rate and review the podcast on any of the platforms you use for podcasts. It really does help us. Also, as Sarah said, please do get in touch about International Women's Day or any issue on sport for development. You can get in touch via Twitter at, at @goodsportscast. You can drop us an email, info at goodsportscast.org.uk. Or follow the blog, goodsportscast.org.uk. So it's left for me to say goodbye from the good sports. Bye. Bye.